When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 579 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are here to recap Duke's win on the road against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, their first true road win of the season. We're going to talk about everything that happened in this game. There's a lot that happened in this game, a lot of good things, a lot of bad things, and a lot of things that just we, we just have to discuss. Before we get into all that, I'm Donald Wine. I'm your host for this episode, coming to you from D.C. on this fine Sunday morning. Jason Evans is also with me. Jason, good morning, sir. Yeah, hey Donald. Um, that was quite a game last night. You said there were some good things. I don't. There were not a lot of good things other than Duke won. But other than that, yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. Hey, there, there's a lot that we're going to talk about because we're going to yes. talk about, especially, especially one player. We'll talk about. I think everyone knows who we're going to talk well, about. We'll save that was that. a good thing. <laughs> we'll save that for just a minute. But again. Duke wins 67-59 at the Joy Center in South Bend, Indiana against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They moved to 11-3 on the season, 2-1 and one now in the ACC. And we begin, as always, with the headlines. And Jason, before we get started with the headlines, I want to, you know, there's a couple of headlines that I had. Um, one that I got via text and one that's kind of just not necessarily a headline, but a quip from uh, my godson. So first, the headline from my buddy Mark Hecker, who wrote, Mitchell has more fight than Irish. And again, I think we're going to be talking about Mark Mitchell quite a bit on this episode, but I wanted to talk about what my godson said. I like that said. one, by the way. Yeah, it was good. Um, I wanted to talk about what my godson said uh, during the game. We were all watching together. Um, he's five, um, and he he was literally, he was really looking forward to watching this game because, quote, we need revenge from the football game. So, I, I first of all, nice. I appreciate that. We've been That's doing, a kid we've been doing, being raised right. That is a kid. We've been doing our training right. well. Uh, the best friends <laughs> and it has been doing well, and I've been helping. Um, but towards the end of the game, Flip uh, has the and one to make it fifteen. I think it's like fifty nine to fifty three or something like that. And he turns to uh, his mom and goes, "Mom, the first uh, we're going to get to sixty. We're going to win." Flip didn't make that and one to make it sixty points, but the final score, Jason, sixty seven. 259. But Godson was right. First team to 61. And that's a good thing. So uh, with that, I wanted to give it to you. I know you looked at some of the headlines that we got in from other people. I did. Take it away. Who, who, what were some of the good ones that you saw? Eric Bishop gave us this one. Marksman Mitchell 100% from deep in slump slaying road win. I like that one. Anthony Sherry, who is like one, one of the top emailers. Anthony's always chiming in with emails. Uh, he says Mitchell was on the mark to lead Duke. I like that one. Um, Mark Esselstein gave us Mitchell and Roach are Duke's lucky charms and win over Irish. <laughs> I laugh. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be as funny as it is, but I, I, I had this. I, don't know, I have this vision of little Mark Mitchell and Jeremy Roach marshmallows floating in my cereal for some reason. <laughs> 
Um, and then I wanted to shout out two of our listeners who attended the game. Look, we folks, we love this. When you send us email to dbrpodcast at gmail.com and you say, hey, I was there. I'm a witness. And here's what I observed because there's stuff that happens in person that none of us can see when, uh, on TV. Um, and Preston Barr was in attendance. He said he said there was a pretty good Duke crowd there, but he was really impressed with the Notre Dame crowd. Um, they had lots of energy, really helped out their team. Um, he was especially impressed because the students were still on winter break. Anytime your crowd can bring energy and passion when the students are not there, I mean, that's a big deal. And it really seems like Micah Shrewsbury has folks at Notre Dame excited about the team and excited about their future. Uh, I, you know, I, I think he's doing the best he can with a very, very limited roster that was given to him. But Preston told us that the crowd was really good. And then uh, Ross Durth was also there. He was there with his son. And Ross said this, he he was watching in warmups. I love this, Donald. He goes, Mark Mitchell, he sends a email. He goes, Mark Mitchell's shot looked really good in warmups. And then he was like, he and his son were like, there's no way, <laughs> we have no confidence this is going to translate to the game. But guess what? It did. Mark Mitchell's shot was good in the game too. So we got to, I, I love that Ross sent us that. Um, by the way, that, that mirrors what I've been saying about Mark Mitchell's three-pointer all season long, Donald, which is that he's not as bad. As, as he has looked there's no way he's been he's taken these three pointers and missing them in practice he definitely hits them in practice so it's just a matter of time till he hits them in games lo and behold that's what he did against notre dame yeah the regression to the mean in this case is trending up right that means he's gonna oh, yeah. start making these and, and sure enough we're let me talk about him just a second but first i did want to mention one uh even, or one headline that we did get that you didn't mention it was from John Grantland, who I think you summed it up earlier in, in this episode already when he said, "Woo, that was too close. John was not the Citadel beating beating Notre Dame by 20. There you go. There's your Citadel shout out. There you go, you. man. Um, but uh, it, yeah, it was definitely a close battle um, and it took a couple of you know key moments to win this game. But Jason, we go to the good and we, we're going to start with him. Mark Mitchell, 23 points, 14 rebounds, one steal, one assist. Five for five from the charity stripe. He drew six fouls against Notre Dame. And of course, as we have mentioned, the streak is over. Two for two from three-point land. Jason, I, I, I'm sure you've watched Major League. When you've done two in a row, the next one is called a winning streak. It has happened before. So the next three-pointer that Mark Mitchell makes, if he makes three in a row, that is called a streak. He is starting to build a streak of his own in the positive direction. But Jason... You know, first of all, foreshadowing. There's one guy who's going to be considered for player of the week, player of the week, um, and is Mark Mitchell, at least yeah. in my book. Um, <laughs> but Mark Mitchell really provided a spark on offense when we needed it the most. When there were some guys who were struggling, Mark Mitchell carried over his performance from Syracuse, at least the first half of Syracuse, and carried that over into the Notre Dame game. And it was much, very, very opportune for him to do that. Uh, since Mark Mitchell's father had that very controversial tweet that we spent some time talking about where he kind of called out Mark and Duke, Mark Mitchell's averaging 22 points per game since then. <laughs> uh, so uh, dad's criticism, even though Mark denies, he goes, I don't know nothing about that. Hey, the reality is uh, something has lit a fire under Mark Mitchell. Uh, 23 and 14 in this game, 8 of 12 shooting, as you mentioned, 2 of 2 from 3, 5 of 5 from the free throw line, 19 points in the second half. Including, by the way, Duke's 14, first 14 points of the second half. At one point, Donald, eight minutes into the second half, 
The score was Mark Mitchell, 14, Notre Dame, 12. The rest of the players mm-hmm. wearing a Duke uniform, zero. Um, I mean, that's great for Marth. Kind of bad for the rest of the team. It wasn't like they weren't shooting. But but Mark Mitchell was Duke's entire offense in much of the second. I think he scored half of our points in the second half. Yeah, I mean, like uh, a, a friend emailed me and said it was like watching Marvin Bagley, except with great defense as well. I think that's a really accurate statement. Mark Mitchell was dominant around the basket. I mean, like the 14 rebounds. I got to tell you, I, so uh, I know a lot of people missed the beginning of this game because ACC, uh, the ACC network schedules games two hours apart, even though. No one thinks that games are going to be no game. No game is two hours long anymore. This, this is just, this is absurd. Well, you know what? You could get away with doing it if you didn't, like they they don't start the game in exactly, a two o'clock game doesn't start at two, it starts at 2.10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and you're scheduling another game at four o'clock. So it's not that it's two hours. It's got to be two hour. you know, an hour and 50. It's stupid. It's dumb. They keep on doing this. I don't understand it. I don't know why It it's foolish, but I had ACC Network Extra on my phone and I was watching the beginning of the game and I had a, t- a couple notes. There'll be times throughout this, this podcast, Donald, where I will mention things that maybe folks didn't see or didn't know about that. I did because I watched an ACC network extra me and probably 12 other people on the planet. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I was going to say one of my first notes, like from the very beginning of the game was that Mark Mitchell was fighting for rebounds, like from the tip. You guys didn't see the first few minutes. I did. And Mark Mitchell was fighting for rebounds. The entire, higher game I, I i love the play in the second half i think this is like this may have been the key moment in the entire game they left mark mitchell alone outside the three-point line completely alone the guy who was guarding him was like inside the restricted circle he was so far like away. every other team has been doing so exactly far this exactly and mark got the ball and immediately took two dribbles and took an uncontested 12-foot jumper that he knocked down he ate up the space and then took an easy shot. That is what you would do when they leave you alone. You attack on the very next play. Literally, Duke goes down, plays some defense, comes back down the other end of the floor. Mitchell immediately sinks a three-pointer. It was like doing that one play where he ate up the space and took an easy shot showed him, okay, I can, you know, this is how I punish them for doing that. And by the way, the very next play after that, he hits the jumper. He hits the three. The next play after that, he gets a dunk. That's called three-level scoring, Donald. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what Mark Mitchell was all about in this game. I mean, it was it was incredible for him. A great half. We'll get to the bad, which is that none of his, you know, other than Jeremy Roach, frankly, none of his teammates showed up. As far as I'm concerned, there are two players on Duke who had a decent game yesterday, and the entire rest of the squad was terrible. But, man, was Mark Mitchell great. It is so comforting to see. Um, it was funny. There was a point where there was a, like, you know, most people when they have a heat check, they have a heat check and they'll shoot a three from like 45 feet, right? After they've yeah. hit a couple in a row, yeah. they'll shoot one from 45 feet just to see if, or, you know, shoot one that's like over three guys just to see if the, it goes in, right? It, it felt like uh, in the second half, Mark Mitchell's uh, heat check was he took the ball. He was at the top of the key. He immediately, like, it was like kind of on a fast break. So he drove the lane and jumped up to try and dunk the ball from like 14 feet. Like I think he's <laughs> maybe had a, a toe inside the side the free throw line, jumped up and was like, oh no, I don't have Wimbenyama's arms. Um, this is not going to make it. And he kind of like, you know, tried to curl at him for 
uh, a layup. I think, you know, we ended up getting the ball and getting points out of it. But it was funny because I was like, oh, of course, a Mark Mitchell heat check would be like him trying to dunk over five people um, from 14 feet away like he has go-go gadget arms. But everything else about his game I thought was great uh, yesterday. It was comforting. I think the comforting part was, you know, you mentioned the people before the game who said, hey, the shot looks good. And we've been talking about, hey, the shot must look good in practice. And now we don't feel like we're taking crazy pills, right? Someone has seen the shot exactly. go in, and he's seen the shot go in. You could see, again, you could see the weight kind of lift off him, off of his teammates. Everybody on the bench jumped up um, for both of his threes when he made them. And there was a, even the second one, he kind of took it. The guy who was guarding him was about 15 feet away from him and almost kind of did like, a, yeah, go ahead and shoot that. And as soon as he shot it, you could see the whole team like, that's good. That's good. I think that's going to help him the rest of the season. Just that, just those two key moments. Because first of all, those three pointers came at some key times when we were battling back and forth with Notre Dame to keep the lead. And then at the same time, it's going to help his confidence because again, these floodgates kind of open. And when you see the ball go through that, that rim somehow ends up looking really, really wide and it seems like everything starts to hit. So I'm hoping that carries through. Uh, the rest of the year for him and that he's we're able to get past the remember, you know, I said early on, I, I wish we could look back at this little stretch and go, <laughs> remember when Mark Mitchell was one for 22 from three, like, yeah. that was fun. Like, but now he's fine. I hope this is the start of, of that recoverance and again, regression to the mean, but uh, yeah, I, I think Mark Mitchell did great. We're let's shift to Jeremy Roach. Cause again, you said there was another guy that did great. Jeremy 100%. Roach. Yeah. Uh, 18 points, six rebounds, four steals, two assists, nine for nine from the charity stripe. One steal away from a 10-5-5 game. Jeremy Roach is everywhere. And again, it, playoff Jeremy has shown up throughout the entirety of this regular season and has been one of the most consistent things that has been about this regular season is that Jeremy Roach has shown up. And last night, again, he didn't have times where he dominated the game, but there was times where he literally took the ball and said, I need to take control, settle everybody down. And he was able to make a play, whether again, whether it was with the shot or by passing it to somebody else. Yeah. So um, Ken Pomeroy uh, tracks uh, offensive rating of individual players and he'll he'll do it over the course of a season, but he'll also do it over the course of a game. And a 100 is a perfectly average rating. And, and by the way, it's worth noting, you know, this is about efficiency. This is about, you know, how do you do relative to the number of possessions that you that you use the ball so so you know usage rate matters here you know a guy who doesn't um take a lot of shots who maybe scores a little bit could have a really high offensive rating because of that whereas a guy who um you know takes a ton of shots like Marcus Burton for example even though he scored 18 points you know in this latest game for for Notre Dame his offensive rating was only an 83 uh, again 100 is average he was actually below average, even though he was all over the place for Notre Dame, because he was super inefficient and he was taking a ton of shots. So anyway, the, the bottom line is Duke only had two players in this game that Ken Pomeroy's computer says had a above average, above 100 offensive rating. That's Mark Mitchell, who had a 144 and Jeremy Roach, who had a 133, the 135. That, that basically means Mark Mitchell was 44 percent more efficient than an average player, Jeremy Roach, 35% more efficient than an average player, which is amazing. Those are super high numbers. Not another single, no one else on Duke was even like above 85. <clears throat> the rest of the team was just basically terrible offensive ratings. 
So thank goodness we had Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell to lead us. And I, I just thought Roach did a fabulous job of finding the moments where we really needed him. Early in the first half when we were really struggling, Roach was the guy who who was taking it again and again. In the second half, he backed off a little bit because Mark Mitchell was was playing really well. And, and frankly, finally, you know, Jared McCain was able to knock down a couple shots and the such. And, and uh, you know, Kyle Filipowski had a, had, a, had a couple little flurries, so Roach didn't need to step up as much. But I'm telling you, in the first half, he was everything that Duke needed. And by the way, his numbers are skewed. Donald, something that you didn't get to see unless you watched an ACC Network Extra. There was a moment early in the game where Jeremy Roach knocked down a three-pointer and a guy kind of ran into him after, again, after he had released the ball and they called Jeremy Roach for kicking out his leg, which is something mm-hmm. the refs look for. Um, and again, this is something that wasn't on the regular broadcast. It was only on ACC Network Extra. I, you know, I watched the replay. It wasn't a terrible call. It wasn't a great call. It was fine. I could see it going either way as as these kind of calls do. But I, I was a little surprised. I thought they would maybe call him because it happened after the ball left his hands. I thought they would call the three-pointer good, and they did not. They waved it off and just called him basically for the offensive foul and said, you know, we're all done. We here had seen that. We had seen that like just as we had turned it on. They had, oh, okay. I, and they, yeah, so I they like showed a replay and like we're talking about it when um when the feed kicked in. But we we also were able able to follow on ACC network extra or whatever yeah the game but but i mean in my opinion jeremy roach probably should have had three extra points because i think you know once you release it i think it's it's in the air and 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 the foul occurs after the shot so you know uh, like if there had been a foul on the rebound they would have given him the points so in any event and that rule changed recently because like in the last like i say like recently the last like five years or so because it used to yeah, be remember yeah. jason they would go you'd have those plays where the guy would go for a layup he'd release the ball the ball would go through the hoop and then they'd land on somebody and they'd call an offensive foul, but they would count the basket. Right. That rule, they got rid of it. And I think part of it, it includes the three pointer where they, where they call the kick out and even the kickouts are like very, very subjective. Cause you know, the way guys shoot nowadays, they're taught to shoot with their leg out. And if someone yeah. runs into it, then, then, you know, a foul is called. Uh, uh, bottom line though, uh, you know, we're talking about Jeremy Roach. I thought, that was a perfectly fine play by him. And, you know, I was going to say he he probably should have had a 20-point game because of it. Uh, he has been easily Duke's most consistent player. Um, I, you know, I think he's only had one game where he hasn't been, like, above 17 points in, like, Duke's past eight games or something like that. It, it's kind of crazy how how good he has been for the Blue Devils. Recently, he is playing the way you would expect a senior to play. And, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, I'm – not even surprised that he had 18 points and and was one of the team leaders and was picking us up again and again when we desperately needed it because that's what Jeremy Roach has been doing all season long. Yeah, the like I said, playoff germ is someone that's here to stay and I think that's terrific because it's been a, a very much needed boost in several several games this year. So, uh Jeremy Roach, shout out to you. I did yeah, want to also I, I just looked it up really quick. Uh, Roach has 17 or more points in eight of Duke's past nine games, the only game where Jeremy Roach didn't have 17 or more points was the game against Queens where he was absolutely not needed. Like he just took the game off essentially, mm-hmm. <laughs> but in, in, in all the competitive games that Duke has played basically since LaSalle, Jeremy Roach has been, you know, 17, 18, 20, 19, 22 consistently game after game after game. I mean, God, he's having a, a hell of a season. 
Absolutely. Um, and I, I'm just, I just want to go back real quick to Mark Mitchell. He had 19 points in the second half. What is this? What is, what is the timeline that we're living in? Exactly. In the second <laughs> half. Keep it up, man. That's, that's amazing. Um, I do want to also point out Jason that while again, we're going to talk about some of the struggles from, from shooting one place we didn't struggle was the free throw line. We were 17 for 21 from the charity stripe. Got to knock down your free throws, especially if you're going to have a close game. And the great thing was, you know, we we talk, we kind of joke when we do the metrics about free throw defense. You know, free throw defense. Our free throw defense was tight in in the, in the game, dude. So, that, that's one of the major reasons we won. You know, it's easy to to look at different things and go, oh, this is why we won. This is why you won. Uh, the, frankly, free throw shooting. Notre Dame was terrible, and we were good. And it, this was mm-hmm. a close game. Believe me, if Notre Dame had hit like a normal percentage of free throws, we would have been. My fingernails would be all. This gone would have right been really now. close. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it was good that we were knocking their free throws down again, led by you know Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell. They both were perfect from the line. Uh, I believe Mark Mitchell was nine for nine for for the game from three or, or from the charity stripe, and then uh, uh, Jeremy Roach five for five. So. Um, you got that there, backwards. There's a lot of your points. You got that backwards. Roach was nine for nine. Mitchell was five for five. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Thank you. Um, but, but I knew where perfect. you were going. <laughs> I may not be perfect, but they were at the charity stripe last night. Great. Um, Jason, anything else you have in the good before we uh, hit the break? Yeah, I mean, I guess we should mention uh, Duke held Notre Dame to 59 points. That is four points below Notre Dame's season average. Duke has now held every single opponent this year below its season average scoring. Um, I thought we played, we played all right on D. I, I didn't think we were particularly great. I, I did like. I thought that we did a nice job of identifying Marcus Burton, of forcing him into difficult shots. Uh, he he seemed to find himself. Kyle Filipowski found himself guarding Mark, Marcus Burton, you know, on switches several times. And I thought Flip did Flip did all right with that. You know, keeping a really really quick guy in front of him. But we just made Burton take difficult shots again and again, which is which is why he was seven of 21 from the, yeah, seven of 21, not a, he got a lot of points and, and he's a very creative player and a fun player to watch, but not an efficient player by any stretch of the imagination. Anytime you go seven for 21, it's probably, you know, probably not helping your team as much as you might think. Um, And I thought Duke did a really nice job of forcing turnovers. I mentioned coming into this game that Notre Dame is a team that has the commits turnovers on its own. (laughs) <laughs> that they'll and you saw this throughout the game that they'll just mm-hmm. oh oops I threw the ball away you know <laughs> uh, Notre Dame does that a lot uh, they commit turnovers on about twenty percent of their possessions well against Duke they committed turnovers on twenty percent of their possessions but Duke actually got seven steals like half Notre Dame's turnovers were Duke steals and Notre Dame's usually at least decent at not at not turn the ball over that way uh, and I credit the Duke defense um, for that and Duke also did a, a fairly decent job. Um, of keeping Notre Dame off the offensive boards. Notre Dame is a good rebounding team. They they beat us in rebounds in this game, but but we didn't let them kill us on the offensive rebounds too much. And uh, yeah, that was that was one key to to Duke edging out this victory. Frankly, it was a, a it was this is a game where we're going to spend more time on the bad than the good. The 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 good is basically Mitchell Roach, a little bit of defense, and the rest of it's bad. Well, you know, the turnovers you were mentioning, we made 18 points from those turnovers to Notre Dame's five. So I think, again, when you think about some of these little differences in the game, like, you know, getting those turnovers and turning them into points was a was a thing that really helped Duke at the end because we were going to get we, we have to we have to continue to force the ball the uh, force them into making bad decisions, which we did. 
but you also have to capitalize on them. You can have 37 turnovers if you want. doesn't matter if you don't get points on the other end. We were able to do that last night. Hey, really quick, before we get to the bad, we're going we're gonna to take a break, get to the bad, but before we get to it, I just had some observations. They These aren't good. These aren't bad. They're just in between. So I just wanted to mention a couple things really quick. I was very intrigued. Toward the end of the first half, we saw some Kyle Filipowski and Ryan Young minutes where they were both in the yep. game together. And and it's just something we haven't we've seen very little of from Duke so far this year. I didn't track like the plus minus or how Duke did in those minutes. Frankly, neither Young nor Flip had a very good game. So mm-hmm. so I don't know if this is the best game to track it necessarily, but I, I I was intrigued that that John Shire hadn't, you know, sort of completely written off that lineup. I would have been really intrigued if maybe he had decided to also leave Mark Mitchell in the game there. I mean, and remember last year, Mark Mitchell mostly played um, small forward, not power forward. Kyle Filipowski mostly played power forward, not center. This year, they both shift down a, a, a spot. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not here to say what their natural position should be. Um, but I, I would be intrigued if Duke could find a way. I think it'd be interesting to let each of them, you know, whether it's playing with Sean Stewart or playing with Ryan Young, you know, moving, moving flip sort of down a roll. Uh, from the five to the four, I'd be intrigued if Duke could find a way to to make that happen a little bit. I mean, obviously, the reason it hasn't happened a lot is because we've got four or five, if you count Jalen Blake's guards who need to be in the game a lot. And if you do that, then you're only playing two of those guards, and it probably you know reduces Duke's outside shooting and our ball handling a little bit. There there are reasons for it, but I was I was very intrigued that we we went with a young and flip minutes. You know, again, we just haven't seen it very much. I should note, by the way, that after we did that for a couple minutes. A couple minutes. Ryan Young came out and Caleb Foster came back in. We literally went from it wasn't Mark Mitchell who came back in. It was Foster. We went from being like almost as big as we can be to like almost as small as we can be mm-hmm. <laughs> on back to back possessions. And then the other thing I wanted to note was that uh, in the second half, I'm sure everybody noticed that Kyle Filipowski got whacked in the throat and the officials went to the monitors to see what had happened. I don't know why. Donald, can you explain? Why did they go to the monitor? There's an official ACC rule. There's no reason to go to the monitors on that. There's an official ACC rule that if Kyle Filipowski is hit in the face or the throat, it is not a foul. It's not a flagrant. It's written in the rule books that way, isn't it? It appears to be because the refs never call anything when Kyle Filipowski gets whacked in the head. Jason, you're absolutely wrong about that play. I, like 100% wrong about that play. They called Kyle Filipowski for a foul. On that oh, that's play. right. You're right. They did. Yes. So, so yes. I just want to put, I just want to set the record straight that they, they can call things. And usually it's it's on Kyle Filipowski. And if you think about going back to last year, there was a couple of times where Kyle Filipowski got like whacked in the head, throat, you know, ears, nose, chest. Feel like a doctor when I say all this, all these different body parts that he's been whacked in. But he was able to find himself on the line in zero of those plays. And in fact, in most of those plays, he was called for the foul or called for the offensive foul or something like that. So, yeah, it, it's it's. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna get into it. It's just. It's just something that we have to live with. And you know, to to his credit, I think that Kyle Filipowski, you know, he's shown sometimes this year where he's been visibly frustrated at some of the calls or non calls uh, that have come his way. In that instance, it felt like he was like, you know, par for the course. Of course, you're not gonna call yeah. like his his throat was red when when that happened, right. and you could see like you could see John Shire kind of looking like, hey, you know, keep it keep it together, like. They, they're not going to call this one because that's what they do. And yeah, it also, Jason, it feels like they all occur on the road too. Um, yeah. They're interesting. Why do you think we never go on the road? So, uh, you know, you know, the thing about it, when I watched the replay, 
I, I didn't think that it, I didn't think it called for a flagrant, I, you know, but I, I, but I, but I was like, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe at some point someone's going to whack flip in the throat and, and the refs will actually go, ah, you know, this time, maybe, um, Maybe we'll give well, them the benefit of the doubt. They, they never with do. With the flagrant one, like when, when we hear flagrant, right? We hear, oh, that's a bad, that's a terrible foul, right? The flagrant one removes the element of intent from it. I think that's the right. idea, right? Like I can well, accidentally slap you in the, the head, face. Contact yeah. with the head is supposed to be like a, almost automatic. Automatic. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. It never, it's like, hey, I know he didn't mean to hit Kyle Fogopowski in the throat, but flagrant one basically says, yo, statutorily, you did it. If the You contacted the head or the, or the neck, like, I, I can't do anything about this, but hey, this this why the rules are, are written in in sand apparently, so uh, they can be changed. You know what? Let's let's pause it here. Let's take a quick break. On the other side, we'll talk about some of the other things that we need to learn from this game and improve on. More after this. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by Better Help. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
All right, Jason, we are back, and it's now time to discuss the things that we need to improve on. There's a lot of things we can talk about in this section, so I'm going to let you start. Where do you want to go with this? There's a lot of things that we can improve on, and this wasn't the the best game for us to watch. Yeah, can I should I start with Kyle Phillips? Oh, wait, or I can start with our point guard. Oh, wait, I can start with Jared McCain. Oh, I don't know. Take it wherever you want to go, man. Take it wherever you want to go. I'll start with Flip because we were talking about Flip before the break. Um, what is up? With Flip and these first halves, we got a couple emails that asked about this. It is inexplicable that a player this good consistently, Donald, consistently, he's terrible in the first half, like a game after game after game. And usually, usually he turns it around at halftime. Usually he he's great in the second half. But man, he struggles out of the gate like every single game. This game, he was not great in the second. He was better in the second half than in the first, barely. But I mean, God. Two of 12, only five rebounds. I mean, he he did, by the way, I don't want to completely bag on the dude. He did have four assists, and a couple of them mm-hmm. were really, really nice passes. He had one play. He had one pass that was, when we get to play of the game, I'm going to mention the play that wasn't the play of the game that could have been the play of the game. That was a almost assist that he had. But, I mean, come on. It's not like he was playing all-American big men in this game for Notre Dame. Notre Dame was running some stiffs out there, and Kyle just... He's got to be better. He's got to he's got to find a way to finish around the basket and not get his shot blocked as much as it does. He's got to find a way to to feel out. Okay, is this a guy that I do I attack him from the outside or the inside? It seems like you know Flip almost can't decide which way to attack these big men. And that I'm I'm hesitating. I'm pausing because I'm I, I want to be nice to the guy. He's got to be more consistent. He can't. He's an All American. Kyle Filipowski is, look, he's not going to win player of the year because Zach Eady is going to win player of the year. But Kyle Filipowski is like in the conversation for the guys right after Zach Eady for the best player in the land. NBA teams are with lottery picks are like, you know, Kyle Filipowski is one of the guys I'm looking at. Man, you can't be having games where you're this bad against Notre Dame. You can't be having games where you're playing subpar big men, bad big men, and struggling. Like, what's he going to do when he faces no Chad Omir? What's he going to do when he faces DJ Burns and Armando Baycott? There's some good big men in the ACC. Kyle Filipowski's been playing bad big men and not dominating them. If this Duke team is going to play in it's Phoenix, right? Glendale, Phoenix? Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. This Duke team's going to be in Phoenix at the end of the year. This Duke team's going to hang banners. Kyle Filipowski's got to be more consistent. This is a really, really bad game on his part against a terrible, terrible Defense uh, team in Notre Dame. And and I don't know. There's nothing more to say. He knows it, by the way. He knows he should be better than this. I think, one, we, we've talked about inconsistency all year, and, and he has not been uh, a stranger to the inconsistency bug, right? He's, he's everyone. It feels like everyone in this team has caught it at some point, except maybe Jeremy Roach. And everyone else has kind of uh, had this at some point. But with I was joking last night during the game. I was like, maybe we should just like, you know, sit Kyle Filipowski and then just tell him like at the under 16 media timeout, yo, it's the second half. Go nuts. Um, Like right. Four minutes of the game. Just say it's the second half. Go nuts uh, and see what happens. And Um, by the way, we should also, we should also tell him that he's already got three fouls. Like he should start the game on the mm -hmm. bench with three fouls and pretend like it's the second half and he can't foul anybody because he's going to come out of the game then. And, and the game's on the line because that seems to be the only time he plays well. 
Right. And, and I, I, I want to make clear, everyone, that I'm joking. Kyle Filipowski should be starting. But my point is, is that it feels like there's a there's a mental block when that game starts that forces him into some, you know, alternate metaverse that, you know, he doesn't play well until the clock says the second half. And again, maybe we can manipulate the stuff in Cameron, the second half, the whole game, however we want to do it. But we need to get him out of this funk that appears to plague him at the start of games. And sometimes, as you mentioned, Jason, like last night, even plagues him into the second half of some games. It takes a while for him to get his motor running. And maybe it's an adjust to routine to get him ready to go. Like, you know, you know, to borrow from baseball, right? You have some starting pitchers, you have some relievers. And some starting pitchers, it takes them, you know, 15 minutes, they'll be ready, right? They can come off the bench. They can, you know, they can be a reliever. They can start, whatever. And there's some guys it takes, it feels like it takes four days for them to get ready to, to pitch. And they have to get in their mindset on Thursday that they're pitching on Sunday and they start their routine to get them ready to pitch on Sunday. Whatever Kyle Filipowski needs to do to get ready to start these games. And I'm not going to focus just on Kyle Filipowski. I'm going to extend that to the rest of the team. Cause like I said, we've had some slow starts to games this year uh, in, in several games, whatever our routine is to get us ready to be mentally and physically ready to play when that ball is tipped to start the game, we need to do it. We need to adjust where we need to because right now our first half starts just aren't working. There's very few games that we can look back and go, man, we had a really good start to that basketball game. Very few. And even when we do, there's a lull right after that where that team catches up and gets back into the game. We have been, it feels like we fight when we need to fight. And when we're, you know, down or, or, going back and forth like we did last night, there's a lot of opportunities for us to just say, hey, just put the pedal to the metal. Let's get out of here. Like, let's go to the Joy Center. Let's get up by 30 and let's get out of here. We don't need to play around with these dudes. We got one guy who's 5'11", like go out there and dominate them. And it feels like they're just, they they need the fight. So to do that, they kind of make things interesting every single game. And we as fans, you know, have to take all the times in, in the land to, to battle with that. So, I again, it's not just a Kyle Filipowski problem. It's a team problem. Everyone needs to focus in on the fact that these games are 40 minutes long. And it, as as you mentioned, Jason, we have some really good teams coming up teams yeah, that by, can beat us. By the way, it, you, you said it's a team problem. It's it's a John Shire problem as well. John Shire needs to have team, these guys team is everybody. Team is everybody. Yeah. Right. Who's yeah. the coaching staff? Yeah. They, they need to have he's have these guys ready. Um, look, as we move on with the bad, you talked about the start of the game. Um, Duke did not do what, what you or me or JJ Jackson expected and, and moved Tyrese Proctor back into the starting lineup. Caleb mm -hmm. Foster started, um, didn't matter. Uh, didn't matter which one of them was out there. They both stunk in this game. Uh, our point guards, Caleb Foster and Tyrese Proctor combined to go one for eight from the field. Proctor didn't hit a shot. Foster didn't have an assist. We had, you know, 11 turnovers in this game, nine of them in the first half, nine turnovers in the first half. I, you know, some of that is is on those point guards. Tyrese Proctor at one point took a three pointer that looked like it was taken by a guy who hadn't played in a month. It was just terrible. Th those man, neither one of those guys. You know, there've been occasional games where Proctor and Foster have been good, but in terms of consistency, neither one of those guys has been anywhere close to where they you know, what their recruiting ranking and preseason billing and all that other kind of stuff. That those 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 two players have been consistently inconsistent for Duke this year. 
And Tyrese Proctor is rapidly playing his way out of millions of dollars. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I got no problem saying it. Tyrese Proctor, everyone said Tyrese Proctor was not just a lottery pick, but potentially a high lottery pick coming in this year. Uh-uh. NBA teams, and I know he was hurt, and there's plenty of time to turn it around. Look, we saw last year Tyrese Proctor got better month by month by month. Mm-hmm. Like the March, April Tyrese Proctor was way, way better than like the December, January Tyrese Proctor. Um, but uh, at the moment, Tyrese Proctor has probably cost himself, you know, I don't know, uh, 10, 12 million dollars on his first contract. And and I'm not even certain. I think he's probably still a first round pick, but I'm not certain he's he's for sure a first round pick. If he if he keeps on playing like this, he will not be a first round pick. Again, Tyrese Proctor's numbers yesterday was 0 for 4 from the field. Three assists, one turnover, one steal, one rebound. I mean, th- those are those are pedestrian numbers. Pedestrian to bad. And for a guy who was supposed to be all ACC, all American contender, and a future lottery pick, Tyrese Proctor has just not been anywhere close to it lately. I, I'm not necessarily as concerned about whatever, however many millions of dollars he might be losing in the NBA draft. I I, I know he might be. And, he, I was going to say he and his family are. <laughs> and and honestly, you know, some people could argue that's part of the part of the problem is that they're worried about you know future earnings as opposed to what's happening right now in this team. I think the issue is this. You know, as you mentioned, Tyrese Proctor, even even these guys. I mean, again, the consistency bug is present and it's not going away even you know despite our best efforts for some guys to kind of break through and break out of it and become more consistent like mark mitchell has been this week and jeremy roach has been most of the season i I think when it comes to some of the like the team in general we need to understand that whatever's happening in april won't happen if we don't make the necessary corrections today right like we want to be playing like they can declare in April. We want April to be the best month of their lives because it would start with us going to the Final Four and winning a national championship. And then all these guys can make their decisions about their future earnings, where they stay, whether they go, what have you. But we to get to that point, you want to be playing in April. To do that, you have to start making the necessary preparations in January. I just mentioned how some guys, it takes five days for them to get ready to pitch a ball. You guys got to be ready for March to get ready. You got to do that by playing, doing the right things now and building upon that. We can't do that when guys are inconsistent. It's not necessarily a great thing all the time that we don't know where the scoring is coming from. We we have to understand that there's got to be guys that step up every single game and say, this is my ball. I need to take care of my job. And right now that's not happening. And it's it's not happening against some of the you know weaker teams in the ACC, sure. And we're able to kind of combat that. But that's a problem that a lot of good teams have, right? They, they come against these weak teams they go oh don't worry we'll 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 find a way to win we're not necessarily prepared uh to beat this team because we don't need to prepare for this team and that team comes out and you have guys like Braden shrewsbury go four for seven from three when he has hit like four threes all year like yeah those sort those sort of things can't happen and i'm sure on the other side notre dame is like guys we let mark mitchell hit two threes right that like those (laughs) things can't happen and when you look at a scouting report you say hey this is what they do bad this is what they do good exploit that take advantage of that and prepare to beat that team because if Tyrese Proctor and Caleb Foster and all these guys whoever go off for 20 points against Notre Dame and do it efficiently and they're passing the ball around and they're you know hitting 70 percent of their shots like we did against Syracuse people are going to look at that go man these guys are really good but when you have a dismal performance and still win 
people aren't looking at you saying, oh, well, it's fine. They got the win. They're looking at you and they're criticizing your effort and your output. So that needs to continue to improve. We'll we'll say it to our blue in the face. Consistency, consistency, consistency needs to be there because when we play these better teams, if we are inconsistent, they will beat us. And then there will be no talk about lotteries and, and draft picks and all that stuff. There will be talk about us exiting and ending the season a lot earlier than we want it to. So if we want to be playing late, deep in March, early in April, we got to start making these corrections now because we need to start building upon those successes and learning from our mistakes right now. So that's what I have on the bad. Jason, you have anything else? Uh, yeah. Sadly, Donald, I've got several more topics. <laughs> Pick a couple. Pick a couple. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna start with Jared McCain. Look, Jared McCain had five, you're talking about consistency. Jared McCain had five really great games in a row, and we've been singing his praises. Uh, look, we gotta we gotta call a spade a spade when it happens, and he was just two of nine on threes. Um, he missed a bunch of shots where he was wide open. Those three pointers. Um, there was one play early in the second half where he went inside. Missed a close shot and fought hard for his rebound. I was like, yeah, Jared, go get that rebound, baby. And then he went back up and he got stuffed by the rim. <laughs> you know, one of those shots where. It, it, was it, it him that had the ball that was like 80% of the way through the net and then popped back out? Or was that, who, who was that that had that three-pointer? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, there was one three-pointer where the ball, I'm, I'm telling you, was like eight-tenths of the way down. And then yeah, somehow I, magically popped back out. I think, I think that was, was I think that was McCain. Yeah, I think it was that. Look, he was probably due for a, a, a you know, a reversion to the mean kind of game for him. But this was pretty severe. I mean, he took, I do like that he took 13 shots because he never shied away from being aggressive on offense. He mm -hmm. never let his confidence get down. And I think that's that's a really good thing. And, uh, you know, yeah, he had a tough night. It's a, it's a road game. The sight lines are a little bit different. Um, he's going to face tough environments like this. And teams are starting to focus on him more and more because they recognize what he can do. Uh, but I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, I couldn't put his game in the good. I have to put him in the bad. Um, I, I, I did think, I mean, look, I, I ripped on Caleb Foster, Tyrese Proctor and Kyle Filipowski earlier. I'm not ripping on Jared McCain in nearly the same way. I want to be very clear about that. Other stuff I had in the bad, um, slow starts Duke trailed 24 to 15 with seven minutes left in the first half, man, we, we just, we closed the half strong, but we did not. We play. This was a poor Notre Dame. We had to. We had to fight for a lot of stuff. It, it felt, yeah. You know, we talked about games being a struggle. It felt like we were doing things the hard way. That's that. That's what this game was. I mean, uh, look. I, I know Notre Dame's been playing better lately than they than they were earlier in the season, and and good for them. But New, Duke needs to come out with more fire, and we have to have, play with more heart every single game, and not let bad teams like Notre Dame have hope, because that's what. Being down 24 to 15 after the first 13 minutes of the game gave Notre Dame hope for the entire contest. I'd rather, you know, stomp on their throat, make them go, oh, well, we can't win this game. And then you can coast a little bit, guys. But And then the last thing I had in the bad was that um, Notre Dame beat us in bench points, 18 to 5. The Duke bench continues to struggle a lot. Well, Duke, Duke's bench has been really disappointing this year for the most part. Um Ryan Young had some rebounds, but he also had three turnovers in seven minutes. When Ryan Young plays well, Donald, you and I talk about it. We talk about his hockey shifts, you know, because mm -hmm. he comes in he's for those little bursts. And sometimes they are great little bursts. He had one of those little bursts where I think he had like 
two turnovers, committed a foul, missed it. Like, yeah, he had one little burst. I was like, that's about as bad a two minutes as, as I've seen a Duke player have in a long time. Um, and then I wanted to mention TJ Power. Because if you did not have ACC Network Extra, you did not get to see TJ Power's three minutes. He came in really early in the game in the first half. He actually, get this, Donald, he had a nice contest on a fast break where Notre Dame was going in for a bucket. It was like him against one other guy. And TJ Power actually played pretty good defense and denied them the bucket. I was like, TJ, playing a little defense for me, my friend, huh? But then he had a wide open, I mean, wide open three-pointer that he missed. And he was all done. <laughs> After that, Josh, I went, okay. You go miss the wide open threes, baby. Have a seat over here. We got room for you on the bench. I wish I, I wish TJ Power could get more minutes. It's clear John Shire wants him out there to to drain some threes. But I I, I also think the fact that Mark Mitchell was playing really well really limited mm-hmm. TJ Power's minutes. Basically, it's very very rare that you see TJ Power and Mark Mitchell playing at the same time. Um, and I actually think it's a you know it from from Duke's standpoint, you can sort of. Not that you're going to actually trick the opposition, but if you're the the opposing guy who'd been guarding Mark Mitchell and TJ Power suddenly comes in, you have to defend TJ Power very differently than Mark Mitchell. And I keep on waiting for teams sort of to get caught up on that and maybe not realize what's going on and TJ to get a couple threes out of it, but it hasn't happened yet. While we're talking about the bench, Sean Stewart did not get into the game at all. So yeah. again, we're looking in a game that possibly could have dictated uh, you know, him being in the game, he didn't get any minutes. And so, yeah, that's that's a cause for concern, at least from that camp, as far as him, what he needs to do to kind of get back in the game. He's had a struggle of the season, and he's not getting probably the minutes that he thought he would be getting. And I know Duke fans have been clamoring for him to get into the game, and when he's in the game, he hasn't been very efficient. Hopefully he's continuing to work on that and work on his confidence in practice and get to that point where he can get back into the game because a guy with that kind of athleticism, we definitely need Jason. Let's move on to play of the game. There's a couple of options, but what do you have? All right. So I mentioned earlier that there was a play that I was like, Oh, this would have been the play of the game. And, and that, and I'm going to give that one first. Um, it was uh Kyle Filipowski had a play in the first half where he was, he kind of threw the ball across his body while he was falling down, like the double team came to him and he had already spotted where he was going to throw the ball before he started to throw the ball, which is dangerous, but also really exciting to watch. And he whipped the ball across the court to Jared McCain for a wide open three. If McCain had knocked that down, I'm telling you, that's like sports center top five for sure. Uh, McCain unfortunately missed the wide open three pointer, so it's not play of the game and not on Sports Center. And people probably have forgotten it existed. But if he'd knocked it down, you'd have been like, "Wow!" So instead, my play in the game, play of the game is four minutes left in the first half. Duke was down four and really struggling to score. And Jeremy Roach, uh, Marcus Burton was bringing the ball up the floor, and Jeremy Roach just took it from like I don't know one one minute Marcus Burton was dribbling, the next minute Jeremy Roach was dribbling. I was like, Hi, "What? Huh? How did that happen?" And they raced to the other end, and uh, the D came to Jeremy Roach, and he dumped it off to Ryan Young for an easy layup, senior to grad student. It, I thought it was a key moment. Like I said, Duke was down four, and Notre Dame had the ball, and I was like, you know, uh oh. And th- that was a that was one of the key. That was one of the moments in the midst of the Duke run that we had toward the end of the first half that gave us a lead at halftime. Uh, and I just thought that was the play of the game because. It was important that Duke had the lead at halftime because we played terrible in the first half, like nine turnovers. We shot 31%. 
And I was just like, oh, this is terrible. And then I looked at the scoreboard and went, oh, but we still had the lead. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, In the end, Donald, it is worth noting, if you have more points in the opposition, you get the win and they get the loss. And not that's what that's, I hear. That's not the only thing that matters. That's a lot of what matters in these games. We can look at records. Yeah, that, ha- that helps. Yeah. So, look, Duke went on the road in the ACC and picked up a road win. As much as I've been bagging on the team, and as much as I think this was a very disappointing performance from the Blue Devils, we got the dub, they got the L, and in the end, maybe that's all that matters. So, Jason, my play of the game is much more simpler than that. Mark Mitchell hit his first three. His, I, I got his no... first three since, what was it, the like second game of the season? Yeah. Um, yeah, like, it's, it's very simple. We've talked all week about him getting off that, Schneid and and hope you know hopefully getting back into rhythm. He hit that one three. Everyone goes nuts. And for him, I you could see again, just like when Jack White had his his drought, Wendell Moore, when he had his drought, that first three, you could just feel the weight lifted off his shoulders. He ended up hitting again another one in the game. But it, those those plays are are plays that aren't necessarily plays of the game. They're pivotal plays of the season. And I think hopefully that is a pivotal play for the rest of the season. Yeah, by the way, it was his fourth game, the game, uh, well, his third game. He didn't play in the opening game against Dartmouth, but Duke's right. fourth game against Bucknell, he hit a three-pointer. After that game, Duke, uh, he had been 0 for 15 on three-pointers um, before Mark Mitchell went ahead and uh, and knocked down uh, these two against Notre Dame. And and I I can, by the way, I believe, I believe that by the time the season's over, Mark Mitchell will be a 30% three-point, you know, or better three-point shooter. So he's still got a, a long way to go. He's currently at 12%, three of 24 on the season. So if Mark Mitchell like hits his next three or four or five in a row, that's actually what the odds would probably tell you, you know, he should be doing. So keep on firing, Mark. I got I got confidence in you, buddy. Yeah. And he's not it's not like he's taking 10 threes a game. Like he took he took two, he made two. Like it's not like he said, Oh, great, like we're cured and started, you know, just you know, again shooting 40 footers for heat checks. He stayed within the flow of himself and within the flow of the game, and he took the shots that were available to him, and he made them, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. Uh, Jason, while we're on Mark Mitchell, just going to call it Mark Mitchell, player of the week. Do you disagree? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> is there – I mean, I, I, there's no other nominee. There's no There's no other possibility. J- Jeremy Roach actually had a decent week as, as well, mm-hmm. I guess, kind of. But it's like – Mark Mitchell was the MVP of both games of the Syracuse game and the Notre Dame game. Uh, yeah, it's not even a close call. And by the way, he's still playing great defense. Like as awesome as he's been on offense, uh, you know, and grabbing rebounds and stuff like that. 14, God, my God, 14 rebounds. By the way, first double-double of his career, this game against Notre yeah. Dame. First double-double of his career. Will not be the, I'm going to say it right now, will not be the last double-double of his career. I, I certainly hope not. That would be great for Duke uh, and great for Mark Mitchell. Uh, player of the week. Mark Mitchell, congratulations. That will do it for episode 579 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We will be back in your feeds very, very quickly. We travel to Pitt on Tuesday night for our next ACC matchup. So we're going to preview that. We're going to have a special guest on that episode. So look for your feeds tomorrow or Monday afternoon or so. Uh, You will have that in your feeds. But until then, for Jason Evans, I am Donald Wine. And now it is time for the Duke band to play us out and take us home. You know, the, actually, in, in reality, there are two contenders.
for player of the week. There's Mark Mitchell against Syracuse and Mark Mitchell against Notre Dame. Because <laughs> those are the number one and number two players of the week. Uh-huh. <laughs> Even though Mark Mitchell against Syracuse did nothing against Notre Dame, Mark Mitchell against Notre Dame did nothing against Syracuse. They were still player of the week contenders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the man finally hit a three. I told you it was going to happen. I told you. You were right. The floodgates open. Boosh. Well, by floodgates, I mean another three.